opened up, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what would have come of this. But someone came and reported to them, The men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. The captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence, for they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these, these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. You may be seated. We started a bit later than our usual late today. I've got a message that's a little longer than the usual long. I'm going to try and shorten this message. We're going to trust the Lord with that, okay? Thankful for the missions moment, uh, Soren. Um, it's very impactful to see what our brothers and sisters in Christ have to go through in foreign places, not even one on the list of the nations, the top 50 nations undergoing such things. Um, let me open with a word of prayer, and we'll begin. It seems like I was supposed to share something with you, and I'm not remembering what it was. <laughs> We have communion this morning. It's open to everyone. We only ask that you're in right relationship with the Lord. Um, I want to share that as well. Okay, let me pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people gathered here. Bless each one that's out today, Father, and bless those that weren't able to make it. Thinking of uh, Steve and Bev specifically, they're not feeling well today. Would you just bless them and heal them? Thank you for those uh, praises that we got to praise you for this morning in Sunday school. Ryan and Howard uh, being here and finding a job. Lord, uh, bless our time now in your word. Open your word to us in a new and wonderful way. Teach us in, uh, things we otherwise could not know or would not know. Remind us of things that maybe we've known for a long time. And uh, just direct us along now, Lord. Keep me from saying anything I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed and our response to it. We give all glory to you. In Jesus' name. in fashion, right? The word obedience is not something that people think, hey, that sounds like fun. Obedience doesn't come across like a fun word, does it? If you were to tell your kids, set the rule, guess what? There's going to be someone that wants to break that rule. You know, no chewing gum in the church. Well, guess what? Someone's going to chew gum in the church, right? Obedience doesn't sound like fun. But obedience assumes that there is an authority to be obedient to, doesn't it? Obedience assumes that there is an authority to be obedient to. Ephesians 6, 1 says this. Kids, you might want to listen to this one, young people. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 even goes on to speak of the blessings that accompanies honoring mom and dad. That'll, that you'll live a long life, that it'll go well with you. It's the first, it's the first command with a promise. God promises that it will go well with you if you obey your parents in the Lord, children. That's obedience. It sets the parents as the authority in the home. And it's a shameful thing. It's a, it's a common thing, but it's a shameful thing 
when those roles are reversed, when kids become the authority in the home, and that happens, that happens often, but it ought not to be the case. But every distortion of the truths of of God's word clouds the real blessings they're meant to intend because to be the authority does not mean a parent is to be authoritarian. And I hope you understand what I mean there because Paul doesn't stop in Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. He goes on to say in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord or the nurture and admonition of the Lord. In other words, parents, moms and dads, fathers especially, have a role to play, and that is to gently instruct the child to want to be obedient. That's a high calling for a parent. It's a high calling for a father. But the blessings of obedience in that way are a happy home, are a happy, loving caring home where kids can it can grow up and enjoy mom and dad and mom and jack can enjoy the kids and it's a happy home the verse we're focusing on today is this one acts 529 where it says this but peter and the apostles answered we must obey god rather than men this is verse that's speaking about obedience and peter and the apostles placed obedience to god above obedience to to men, And I believe in this one statement that the apostles clear up a whole lot of confusion with regard to when to do that. When, when it is you're obeying God and you have to obey God rather than men. I think they clear up a whole lot of confusion with regard to that. So today what I want to talk about is the blessings, the blessings of obedience. The blessings of obedience. Because the apostles claim in verse 29 that they are, they make this astounding claim that many people have claimed, but not always accurately so. They claim that they are obeying God. What a blessing to know that you're doing that very thing, right? That you're obeying God. That's a blessing in and of itself. We're talking about the blessings of obedience. But they make the controversial claim, and I'm using the word controversial intentionally, the controversial claim to be operating under God's authority and at his direction. That's a big claim, isn't it? Of course, the claim is valid. And we we know it is. We, We know the claim is valid. We'll touch on that toward the end of the message, Lord willing. But again, many people throughout history have made false claims to be doing that very thing, to be obeying God, but they were not. Perhaps in our missions moment this morning, the men who were doing unspeakable things would have claimed they were doing that, in a name that they weren't doing it in. They were doing it in their own name. Hope as we go through some of these blessings of true obedience, the difference will become plain. But more than that, I'm hoping that we find ourselves rejoicing in the blessings of obedience in our own lives. In our own lives. Obedience is what, what the way Ron said it, and I'm not going to quote him exactly, but just as he was leading us in that last hymn, just prior to that, he mentioned the fact that the idea of obedience is faith lived out in your life. And Ron, I don't know, you, you, you worded it in such a better way, but that was the, that's the idea, right? Your faith ought to look like, your life ought to look like your faith, and your faith ought to look like your life. In Acts chapter 5, I, at least, I see at least four blessings of obedience. 
for these 12 men, and we'll just dig in here now. If you're, if you're a note taker, there's four, there's four blessings of obedience I see here. For these 12 men, one of the blessings of obedience is this. It directs, obedience directs their way. That's the first blessing of obedience I'd like to point out. Is a clear path forward. A clear path forward. Isn't that a blessing? To have a clear path forward in life? Even when they don't know what tomorrow brings. They've been jailed now twice at least. And they have this clear path forward. They don't know what tomorrow holds, but it's clear in front of them. The first blessing of obedience I want to point out is that they have a clear path forward. It directs, obedience directs their way. They don't know what today holds. They are in the face of turmoil and opposition and a mess. Life is that way. Life gets messy, and it gets messy fast. And we all know it. We've all been there. We've got people in our lives that make our lives messy, and we make our lives messy as well. And you put all that together, what do you got? you got a mess. And sometimes it can get really cloudy to know what direction do I move forward. Well, obedience gives you a clear path forward. Obedience does that very thing. In Proverbs 3, in verse 6, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are very familiar verses, but Proverbs 3, verse 6, it says this, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In verse 20, in the text that uh, Howard read for us, in verse 20, there's this, Actually, he started in 22, but go back to verse 20. There's this angel that stands before them and says, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple. The whole message of this life. This angel appears there, and he's giving them clear instructions. The question is, will they follow through? And we're thinking, well, they're apostles, right? Of course they're going to follow through. We've read the story before. We know they're going to follow through. That kind of blips past the reality, they actually have to do it. They actually have to follow through. They have to be obedient to what they've been told to do. The last time they were even in this area, they got thrown in prison. Time before that, Peter and John, they got thrown in prison. They've, the threats have been ramped up and ramped up and ramped up, and this angel frees them and doesn't say just scatter. Talked about that last week a little bit. He says, go Stand and speak in the temple courts. Bring, in, bring that message in even a little closer. they got to do it. And they do. Verse 21. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple at about daybreak and began to teach. There's no delay in their obedience. They're, they're released in the middle of the night. First opportunity in the morning at daybreak, they go and they're doing the thing they were told to do. There's no delay in their obedience. They're told to do this, they do it. So in regards to what direction next, they have clear instruction. They know what the will of God is for them. They simply need to step into the doing of it, right? They simply need to do that. And we see they do. And there's no freelancing going on on their part. They're not each running around doing their own thing. They're not going their own way. They move forward in the way marked out for them. They've been given fresh instructions from an angel. That's unique. And they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're guided by by the Holy Spirit, but they go. 
And in verse 26, isn't just that they go. They go in the face of what could be coming their way. And verse 26 and 27 speaks to some of that. Because when, when it's found out that they're there teaching in the name of Jesus, the captain and the officers go to, to get hold of them again. Verse 26, Then the captain went along with the officers and proceeded to bring them back without violence. For they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council, the high priest, the council, the high priest questioned them, saying, and the high priest is going to ask them some questions, but the thing I want to point out with these two verses, it says, and they brought them without violence. They brought them without violence. Obedience directs their way. It gives them a clear path forward. They brought them without violence. There's no heated argument that ensues. They don't start arguing, hey, you can't arrest us. You can't drag us back there. An angel of the Lord appeared to us last night, and we're doing what God told us to do. You can't be doing this. They don't do that. They don't start a shouting match. They don't put up their dukes and say, hey, we're going to fight over this. They don't do anything like that. They go peacefully. They don't resist arrest at all. They don't say, we're not going with you because God told, told us to do what we're doing. No, they know that there is an authority that's placed over them, and there's no authority that's been placed over them that hasn't been put there by God, Romans 13.1. So even in this, they are being obedient to God. They are content to wait on God. They were told to go and, and stand and speak. They did that, and now they're told to come along with us, and they're going to do that too. They must figure the same God who freed them from prison is able to keep them from being arrested if that's what he wanted, but apparently that's not what God wanted. They're content just to go. And they're trusting that they're going to be given what to say and when to say it. They don't move out ahead of the Lord. That's my point. And they don't scatter when they see the captain and the officers coming. They don't go running. Oh, look, trouble's coming. They're obedient to the very thing they were told to do. Go, stand, speak. Authority comes, you're coming with us. Okay, I guess we're going with you. They got a clear path forward. The first blessing of obedience is that, and I ask you to think about it, it's a clear path forward, a clear path even when you're not sure on this side of eternity exactly where your life is headed. Even when you're not sure exactly where your life is headed this side of eternity, there's a clear path forward through obedience. Even when things get a little stormy. Romans 12, 1 and 2, we're not going to turn there, and I'm not going to quote the verse, all of it, but in Romans 12, 1, 1 and 2, um, I take it as a call to obedience. It starts out this way, therefore, in view of God's mercy. And it goes on to say, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. I think what, 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 what is there is a call to obedience. It tells us that obedience to God and to his word makes us able to discern his will. Because it goes on to say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, then you'll be able to test and approve God's will is. Obedience is a clear 
pass forward. The, the first blessing of obedience I'd like to point out is this idea of a clear path forward. It makes us able to discern God's will. And so I got this question for anyone, all of us. Has your path forward become a little bit cloudy or undiscernible? Let's get back to obedience. Maybe it's gotten a little hard to navigate. One of the blessings of obedience is knowing that God is directing our way. And it's enough for us. We don't have an angel coming to us and saying these things, but it's enough for us to know the clear and simple instructions we have been given. And the Bible is full of them. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Um, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands. There's enough clear instruction. We don't have to wonder about what the clear instruction is. It's everywhere. Just open up the word and we can see it. In Acts chapter 1, the apostles ask Jesus what seems to amount to a political question. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus has to adjust their focus. He has to adjust their focus. He's the same Jesus. He's the same Jesus. He tells them, no. Yeah, I want you focusing on that right now. I got something else for you to be thinking about. My point is, as believers, we have so much clear and simple instruction. We seem, simply need to step in to the doing of it. We read the apostles doing this. They're given the instruction, and we're thinking, yeah, they're going to go. They're going to go. They're going to go do it. They've been told by this angel, go, stand, speak. Then the, office, the captain and the officers come, and we're thinking, what are they going to do now if you're just reading it along for the first time? And guess what? They, they just go. Obey the authorities that are placed over you. We need to simply step into the doing of it. That brings us to the second blessing of obedience. which is this, second blessing of obedience, and the obedience is an obedience to the instructions they already have. The second blessing is it clarifies their work. The apostles find that their actions are being directed by God. Isn't that a blessing? To know that your actions, the very thing you're involved with, is being directed by God. I shared you that verse, fathers, do not exasperate your children. I've done that before to my, to my kids. I've done it a very a very particular time I'm thinking of to my daughter, Sarah. And in the middle of doing that, she got really frustrated and angry with me and left the house, and it was a big turmoil in our home, and a verse came to my mind. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Well, guess what? I moved forward in obedience. And guess what? God is faithful. I went to my daughter and said, Sarah, forgive me. Your dad was a jerk. The Bible says, do not exasperate your children. And even though I wasn't saying anything to you and I wasn't doing anything to you, I had you frustrated, and that's not right. That one event bonded her and I together like nothing you could ever imagine. I just stepped forward in obedience. 
The second blessing of obedience is this, obedience to the instructions we already have. It clarifies their work for the apostles. The apostles find that their actions are being directed by God. To this point in the book of Acts, the point we're at now, chapter 5, I'm hoping to finish chapter 5 today. Uh, To this point in the book of Acts, since the day of Pentecost, Luke has not been recording for his reader a picture of the apostles and the church as being uncertain. Since the day of Pentecost, there's no uncertainty with the apostles. They are just certain of of what they have to do. It is powerful when you think about it in that way. Everything that happens, Ananias and Sapphira, that's not an easy thing. Everything they come up against, they just have this certainty about them. Obedience clarifies what it is they are to do. It, it, doesn't just, it doesn't just point the way. It also, as you're going along the way, helps you to know what it is you are to do when you're in the way. What is it I'm to do? I'm going the right direction. Now what do I do while I'm doing the right, when I'm heading the right direction? And the church is pictured as doing the same thing, as moving forward with confidence as they minister to one another. One another. Acts 4.32. It's not just the apostles. The church as well. Acts 4.32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. They were just moving forward in obedience. God was clarifying their work, helping them to know what it was they were to be doing. Again, what a blessing to know that not only are you heading in the right direction, but also you're doing the right things along the way the blessing of being able to discern what to do next. Luke 16.10 says this, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. Just This is the first part of that verse, and it's in another context, but the concept there, the principle is solid. One step of obedience leads to another, leads to the opportunity for another step of obedience. And these men, these apostles, who are marked by a faithfulness to the task that is before him, before them, they're just marked by that. And the Lord blesses that obedience with an increasing clarity of what to do next and what to say next. And Jesus has told them in Acts 1.8, And you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, the uttermost parts of the earth. And in verses 27 and 28, back in our text again, Acts chapter 5, 27 and 28, When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And that that phrase, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. I got to think Peter and John and the other apostles are thinking, Jesus said you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea. These guys are saying we filled Jerusalem with the teaching. It might be time to move on. Judea might be coming next. Mission accomplished. But suppose when Jesus said that back in Acts 1.8, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the Romans part of the earth. When Jesus said that, suppose the next morning they woke up and packed their bags and headed to the remotest part of the earth. The next day. 
They would have missed the blessing of Pentecost. They would have advanced without the Holy Spirit. Obedience makes makes it clear what the work ought to the, the the next part of the work that is to be done. Obedience makes that clear, and it clarifies the work in another way as well. And this is more important because they have an obedience to God that removes the impurities from the work they're involved with. Removes the impurities from the work that they are involved with. Any of us who have walked with the Lord any length of time know that sometimes when we're doing the work of the Lord, some of that flesh creeps back in right in the midst of that. And it's a big pile of yuck. We don't like it. It makes us feel sick to our stomach. It's gross. There's nothing good there. That's what I meant to say. We were going to be turning one place. 1 Corinthians is where we're going to turn. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's one of the things I was hoping to say. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The second blessing of obedience is it clarifies their work. It clarifies our work as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 11. For no man can lay any foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so, as through fire, do you not know that you are a temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You know what I think these verses are really putting before us? The verses I just read, you know what I think they're really putting before us? It's the question of whose kingdom are you involved with building really? Whose kingdom are you involved with building really? Really? Each man's work will become evident for the day will bring it to light. There are probably some things we've done in the name of the Lord that are going to be burned up because it was all about us. And there's probably some other things that we thought weren't that big of a deal that were the biggest deal. It's a stark reminder of the reality of the Christian life, isn't it? For the apostles, obedience to God enables them and us to know the difference between whether or not we're building his kingdom or ours. They say we must obey God rather than men. And I think they mean that even if those men were they themselves. We must obey God rather than ourselves. It was probably not convenient for them to get arrested. It was probably not convenient for them to get up that early after getting arrested the night before and go into the temple where they're going to get arrested again. But for the Christian, there's no neutral ground. There's no neutral ground. I want to contrast the blessing of obedience with this, with the bane of disobedience. And I had to look up the definition of the word bane because 
I was semi-familiar with the word, and it's the word I wanted to use. Bane is the cause of trouble or harm, death, a poison. Disobedience is like that. Disobedience is a poison. I want to contrast the blessings of obedience with the poison of disobedience by using these two verses. Titus 1, 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their mind and their conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Now, this would be speaking of unbelievers, but there's a big difference there, right? Between the blessing of obedience and the bane or the poison of disobedience, there's a big difference. Peter says something that would kind of tie that together in 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children do not conform to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. If you address as father, uh, 1 Peter 1.17, if you address as father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your time of your stay. In other words, the time you have remaining on earth, conduct yourself in reverence to God, the God you call father. Third blessing of obedience. Moving fast. Third blessing of obedience. Um, it empowers their witness. They have a message to share and a boldness in sharing it. This is the third blessing of obedience I'd like to point out. It empowers their witness. They have an obedience to the message they've been given and a boldness in proclaiming Him. They have this boldness in proclaiming Him. Verse 28. Acts 5, 28 saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in, in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood on us. They won't say the name of Jesus, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. You won't say his name, but we're not going to stop saying his name. We're not going to stop proclaiming him. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. They have a message to proclaim, and that message is about a person, and that person is Jesus Christ and what He's done for them. I've heard this type of thing spoken of as a holy boldness, a holy boldness, and maybe you've experienced that at times. Sometimes people will say they're afraid to share the gospel, and probably so. Some of us are more timid than others. But what is the basis for that fear? I'm just asking someone who might be afraid to share the gospel to just question yourself, what is the basis for that fear? And sometimes, and this is between you and the Lord, sometimes that might be a lack of obedience in the life of the person that would be afraid to do that. It might be that. The very lack of obedience would have you thinking, who am I to share? I'm a mess. there's a good chance there's someone in that very person's life that needs to hear the same gospel. Someone needs to hear the message. These apostles go from go and proclaim this message in the temple to the people to get getting dragged before who? The priest and the Sanhedrin. Now they're going to proclaim the same message to those folks, to the priests. They need to hear the message. Look, these, these are the big wigs. These are the big guns. This would be like getting dragged. It would be bigger than the mayor. be the governor and the 
Supreme Court of Utah, maybe. I don't know what it would be like. The Supreme Court of the United States, maybe. There'd be pressure here. The House and the Congress, the Senate. And they're going to be faithful to proclaim the same message. And it was of Jesus they were told they would be witnesses of. Acts 1.8. And you will be my witnesses. You will receive power. Whose witnesses are they going to be? You shall be witnesses unto me. You should be my witnesses. Their obedience to the message empowers their witness. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.5, We preach not ourselves. You're not preaching yourself anyway when you share the gospel with someone. And if you're going to preach yourself, you ought to preach yourself the way Paul preached himself. <laughs> what a wretched man I am. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. They are so empowered in their witness, they call their captors, those that have brought drugged them in, to the same obedience, verse 30 and 32. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. They're calling these guys to the same obedience. No change in the message. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. There's you can repent and turn and, and receive forgiveness of sins and receive the same Holy Spirit we have received. That's, that's a powerful witness. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And that's the most, that's the most, this message is, this whole message is basically designed for us as believers, Right? the blessings of obedience for believers. But this is the first blessing of obedience. It is forgiveness of sins and receiving the Holy Spirit. That's the first blessing of obedience. Obedience to the faith. That's what the apostles are calling them to. Go stand and speak in the temple. The whole message of this life, that's what God offers through the message of the gospel. It's life and life more abundantly. Because Christ himself was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Christ himself was obedient unto death, even death on a cross, that we might have life. So they, they could come to faith. They could trust Jesus. But if they don't, the contrast is this, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. I want you to notice one more thing. They do not alter their message. At no point do they take a survey of the Sanhedrin or a poll and ask what version of Jesus you would like us to present to you. They never do anything remotely like that. What would be more acceptable or less offensive? They don't do that because what's the definition of a witness? A witness tells what he's seen and heard. And they say as much in Acts 4.20. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They are witnesses of him. 
They were eyewitnesses. We're witnesses too. His spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And we know whom we have believed. It's the same Jesus, same Holy Spirit. We can witness. We can witness of him too. Last point. Fourth blessing of obedience. First one was, first blessing of obedience, it directs their way. Second one was, it clarifies their work. Third one is, it empowers their witness. It enables them to witness. Fourth one is, it informs their worship. Because at the end of this chapter, they're going to find themselves worshiping out of the joy of obedience, even though they've been beaten. The rest of this chapter, chapter 5, goes on to tell of the Sanhedrin's deliberation as to what to do with these apostles. I was going to want to read that, but we don't, we're not going to do that. But there were some guys that came along the way. We have to read uh, verse 36 and 37. For some time ago, Thaddeus rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in in the days of the census and drew away some people after him, he too perished and all those who followed him were scattered. These might have been guys that would say, hey, God's on our side. We're obeying God. But guess what? There wasn't a reality there. But with regard to the apostles, it's Gamaliel who's saying this to the rest of the Sanhedrin. They've set the apostles out for a minute, and they're discussing amongst themselves what to do with these guys. And he suggests this in verse 38. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. And that verse 39 tells me, that these guys had it right. We must obey God rather than men. They were obeying God because guess what? They're the beginning of the church. That's the beginning of the church, and the church is still here, never overthrown. Jesus said, I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. They were accurate in saying, we're obeying God. We can't obey you because we're obeying God. The foundation has not been overthrown, even though there have been many distortions and copycats. But for those of us whom have Jesus as the chief cornerstone, we know that we're a part of the same body they are, the same body they were, the same body. Okay, it informs their worship. You ever notice how hard it is to worship when you feel out of step with the Spirit? Had a really weird week? Weird month, maybe? Haven't been in the Word at all? Been going your own way? And you come into a body of believers and everyone's praising God, but you're wanting to get there and you're just not quite there with everybody. You ever notice the freedom you have when you're walking in obedience to just proclaim Jesus to sing out, even if you can't sing. You just want to praise his name. 
fourth blessing of obedience is it informs their worship. Verse 41. So they went on their way. Well, let me go to verse 40. They took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Um, I had Howard read verse 33 because it's important that we remember it says this, but when they had heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. The pressure's being ramped up. The threat of death is over them. They've been flogged. That can't be pleasant. Verse 41, So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. Obedience informs their worship. They have these eternal perspectives. Eternal perspectives. Peter talks about that when he writes in Peter. He, his very great and precious promises, through his very great and precious promises, he's, he talks about the ability to be able to participate in the divine nature. That's what they're doing. And they just keep on preaching Christ, verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They never stopped. Same message, same message. It's all about Jesus. Closing thoughts. Their obedience, not only a blessing to them, but it extended way beyond. It blesses us, it impacts us, even today. Even today. You've probably heard about, and I've heard about, some testimonies of bus drivers and Sunday school teachers and just teachers and people who have interacted with very prominent preachers and leaders in the Christian faith. People whose names we've never heard of shared the gospel with someone and that person gets saved. And we know this person because they're famous, but we don't know nothing about the obedience that was behind that. Little about it. One verse close, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. I want to encourage you to obedience. That's what this message is all about, encouraging my brothers and sisters in Christ to obedience because there are blessings from obedience. It directs our way. It clarifies the thing we are to do. It empowers our witness, and it informs our worship. It gives us great joy. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. What a promise, eh? Let's close, and we have communion. Uh, Patrick and Soren, would you come after I pray? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for people who have gone before us setting an example of obedience. Especially thank you for Christ and his obedience. And Because of his obedience, we can have life everlasting through faith in his finished work. Thank you for that, Lord. And as we uh, walk in that newness of life, Father, help us to enjoy the blessings of obedience and help us to 